The Pirates have the longest active streak in the major leagues, not having a starter through a complete game. None in their last 370 games, and they're all up now. Ground ball, second base, throw to first, raise the Jolly Roger. He completes his masterpiece. Mitch Keller dominating. You're listening to Rum Buncher Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Friday, May the 12th. Another week of Pirates baseball. We are back to recap it for you. And we are here to preview this upcoming series, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Uh, maybe a little World Series preview we got coming this weekend. Now, we'll see what we got, but we are going to have a special guest on later in the show, Michael Naharian from Birdswatch, our fan-sided Orioles site, to break it all down as well. Going to talk about, uh, you know, the struggles that have gone on, have continued into this week. Uh, obviously, some highs to go with the lows as well. But Marty Leap, Trey Unity, back with you. And you heard one of the highs there to start our show out tonight. Mitch Keller, a complete game. Uh, I think a game that only lasted about two hours and ten minutes. Um, that was truly the only high point this week, other than some other little minor things within some of these games. But the Pirates, Marty, have lost nine out of their last ten. Uh, they're still somehow atop the NL Central because it is garbage. And uh, we've gotten some help from some of these other teams here. Uh, shout out to the Brewers for allowing the Pirates to remain in first place. But as we roll into the weekend here, obviously a big challenge coming up. We're going to have a few different segments in the show tonight. And if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for watching us. We've got some cool new graphics, banners going on, all that good stuff. But uh, we're going to have a few little mini segments you know, a few little things within the show here to spice it up a little bit. Going to try to start doing some more of this stuff because we know you guys uh, have been passionate listeners and excellent, um, you know, fans of the podcast here. So we want to do a few more things to make it special. Let's start with one of those, Marty. Top of the trolley. Uh, I was trying to tie in some Pittsburgh names here, some <laughs> Pittsburgh stuff. I, I didn't want to name it the, uh, you know, the Duquesne incline moment of the week. So we're, we're going to go top of the trolley. This is the best thing that you saw this week. Uh, you know, the best moment, and I know um, you got a lot of great moments coming up because the summer is almost here with the school year coming in. So how you doing, Marty? And what was the best thing you saw this week? Yeah, doing well. I can't complain. You know, said school year is almost over. Got to, uh, I think, 14 more days now we're down to, something like that. Only one more full week. Uh, only one more student Monday with, with an in-service day and then the, and Memorial Day. So it's it's the good stuff. We're in the stretch run. But, uh, yeah, it's it's – Without a doubt, the best thing you saw this week and it comes to the Pittsburgh Pirates was Mitch Keller. Um, we've talked ad nauseum over the years about Mitch Keller on here. And it's first and foremost, it's impossible not to feel great for Keller. The guy's been through so much. Um, he's a guy who, you know, we're probably never going to know, but I can't help but wonder if at one point last May... He really was on the brink of coming off the 40-man roster, potentially being designated for assignment. It just looked like it was never going to work out for him. And the Pirates and just truly like a, hey, let's just throw this against the wall and see if it sticks kind of thing. Put him in a bullpen for two weeks, had him out of sinker, and in 29 starts since the end of May of last year with adding that sinker, he's got a 307 ERA. He's one of the best starting pitchers in the National League. Um, and it was on full display Monday night, just dominant. He was dominant. I, he didn't allow a base runner, I think, after the starting with the sixth inning. Um, Ryan McMahon had 11 pitch a bat in the first inning, which is the only thing that cost Keller a Maddox. Um, only needed 103 pitches. Just was dominant against the Colorado Rockies. And you know what? This division is there for the taking. It is there for the taking. It is God awful. And this feels like one of those years where a team who's got that true bona fide ace at the top of their rotation maybe rises up and steals this thing. Because when you have a guy like Keller who can play stopper, you're not going to have these elongated 10, 11, 12 game losing streaks. And if it wasn't for Keller, the Pirates would be on a 10 game losing streak right now. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, ne next to Corbin Burns, Mitch Keller might be the best starting pitcher in the National League Central right now. Um, I don't think that's a stretch to say. And it's just, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see what Keller has finally developed into, especially after everything he went through um, 
and that start Monday night, man, it was just so impressive. He took control of that game from the start. He never let go. And like, honestly, you were afraid it wasn't going to matter because the offense couldn't get anything going. Now, part of that is Kyle Freeland's also a very good pitcher. But thankfully, Rudy came through with the two-run shot, and the Pirates were actually able to win a game at some point in the last 10 days. But, uh, yeah, no, this that's the highlight of the week, man. Keller was so good Monday night. Just made the Rockies look uncomfortable, off-balance, foolish. And, you know, again, with this division – the Pirates are one and nine in the last ten games, and Milwaukee's two and eight. So they're they're still ahead of the Brewers, like you said. This division is terrible. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. The Pirates have a really rough stretch of the schedule coming up the rest of this month. But if they can get to the end of May and still be within, you know, not even necessarily still in first place, within within reaching distance of first place in this, the division, there's no reason they can't hang around all summer with how well they've pitched so far and just again how bad this division is. It's it's terrible, and you know if there was one other positive, I think you could take out of the uh, out of the week. It's like you said, Marty. You know that this thing probably isn't going to be run away with by any of the teams in the Central at any point this year. You know, maybe the Brewers get super healthy and can remain that way, and uh, you know they go on a little bit of a run. But uh, this is a bad division. This is a winnable division for Pittsburgh. Um, you know, the fact that they're still in first place is just amazing. With everything that's gone on. And, you know, you kind of hope this start from Keller would kickstart that rotation back into what we saw for two, three-week stretch would, you know, kickstart the team in a way. Um, but you said it, man, 365 days ago, I think we were all ready to give up. And, uh, you know, the turnaround here for Mitch Keller, even coming into the season, you know, we were doing our opening day preview. We were kind of leading up to, um, you know, coming out of spring training, leading up to that first week. It's like, is this guy truly the ace? Is this guy going to be the opening day starter even? Has he, has he earned that? Is that the right decision? At this point, um, you know, he's a true ace for the Pirates. And uh, I don't think it's it's unfair to say the best pitcher in the NL Central, at least to this point. Um, you know, we'll see if he can give it up. Has he peaked? Marty, is this Mitch Keller's peak here? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is his, if this is his peak and he sustains us. That's really damn good. Like, I'm not ready to say this is his peak. I'm not ready to say Keller still doesn't have growth in him. Because, I mean, if you look at his overall numbers, I mean, well, what I say, in his last in his last 29 starts, a 307 ERA, strikeout rate right around 20, 21%. But if you look at this year, his numbers have been better than that. 272 ERA, his strikeout rate's almost 28%. I'm not sure where he's at now, but when his start ended on Monday night, he was third in the National League in strikeouts. He keeps getting better. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know if this is his peak. If this is his peak and he pitches at this level for an extended period of time, the Pirates can take that. Any team in baseball would take that. Um, but I'm not ready to say Mitch Keller doesn't still have some growth in him because the way he's pitching this year, he looks like a guy who still has some growth in him. And boy, just how nice is it to, after so many years of one highly touted pitching prospect after another for one reason or another outside of Garrett Cole's 2015 season, never really panning out here. That's the most, I think like satisfying thing to me is not just that Keller went through everything he went through to get to this point. It's to see the pirates finally have that homegrown bona fide top of the rotation ace. And every team in baseball has their top of the rotation guy has their number one starter has their ace. Not every team in baseball is a guy who would be that on most teams. The Pirates have that in Keller. There's not a single team in baseball who would not make room for Mitch Keller in their starting rotation right now. I don't care, even if you want to say, you know, the Atlanta Braves, whoever you want to say the best rotation in baseball, they'd make room for Mitch Keller. He's that good right now. So, yeah, is this his peak? I don't know if it is. It's pretty damn good. But I'm not ready to say Keller doesn't, doesn't still have some growth in him. And that's the icing on the cake, too. I mean, to think about you know, what he's gone through. And he, he was homegrown. He is the ace now. But, you know, he came up and, and looked like dog shit, to, to put it plain and simple, for a long time. And we didn't know if he would ever figure it out. He has, obviously. Um, and he's the ace. While we're on it, Marty, when do they get a deal done? I mean, this is a guy I think that was kind of next in line after, you know, the conversation with Reynolds wrapped up. When do they figure something out here with Mitch Keller now? I mean, I think if you're the Pirates, you're going to want to do it sooner rather than later because he's not going to get any cheaper. Um, you, you know, and if you look at it, even if you want to look at it from Keller's point of view, well, he's still controlled through next season, and he's already 27 years old. So 
if you're him, I think you got to look at it. Do you want to wait and try and test this as a 28 year old and get that one big contract? Um, what do you want to do? Um, you, you know, the, he was on the 93, seven, the fan morning show in Pittsburgh this week. And they asked him about extension talks. And he said that, you know, talks have begun. He says very preliminary, but the talks have begun. I would love to get something done with Keller. I mean, honestly, I think right now he's like you said, he's probably your next guy up. I think that would have been O'Neill Cruz. Um, but with that injury, you, you want to see what O'Neill looks like post-surgery and everything. But I think right now Keller's the guy you circle and you go all in on getting a, a deal done. Um, like I said, you you have him through the 2025 season yet, so he's in the same boat that Brian Reynolds was going to be in had he not signed an extension. Obviously, you're not going to go eight years on Mitch Keller like you did on Reynolds. Reynolds is a little bit younger, and obviously quite quite a big difference between an outfielder and a starting pitcher. But, I mean, if you could try to get something on, like, the five-year, five years done, you know, eat up these last two years of arbitration, try and buy out a couple years of free agency, I would love that. Um, I think this is one that might be as crazy as it sounds because of how long of a road it was to get there. It might be a little more challenging to get down than Reynolds just because with Keller's age and being a pitcher and the amount of money probably on the open market. But, hey, Mitch might be in the same boat Brian Reynolds was in where I like it here. We're turning it around. I want to be here. And I don't know. I don't know the guy. But Mitch Keller to me certainly seems like a guy who also would be willing to say, hey, you know what? A lot of organizations would have given up on me. You didn't. So for that reason, I'm willing to give, you know, that hometown discount or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, hopefully they can get something done with Keller. If they could get something done with Keller sooner rather than later, that's big for the Pirates. And, you know, you've got Hayes locked up. You've got Reynolds locked up. If you could lock Keller up next and just continue to lock up pieces of this core, um, all that does is this window of contention is starting to open. All that does is extend that window even further down the road. And, and the thing is, too, with Keller, I'm, I'm not the Ramble here. I apologize. But no, no. You're not you're not going to go to the postseason. You're not going to compete for a World Series unless you have that bona fide ace. You don't unless you had don't. I mean, look at the Pirates in 2015, 2013, 2014. Part of what made them so good was if the team was struggling, you had Garrett Cole, you had AJ Burnett, you had Francisco Liriano, you had those legitimate top of the rotation, bona fide put a foot down stopper guys. You have one of those in Mitch Keller. You hope you have one of those Ronzi Contreras. We don't know yet, but you know you have one in Mitch Keller. That is the most valuable commodity in all of baseball. You have one right now on your roster. You do everything you can to keep that guy around for the next five, six years. I'm right there with you. I mean, I think as soon as you can, and it will be more complicated. It's going to be a different kind of deal than Brian Reynolds, but you, you have some confidence now that that deal has been done. You know, they, they match a $100 million contract there. And, uh, you know, obviously it will look different, but um, at least there's a precedent set now. We know that they will spend money. They will give out the contract if it's right. I think it couldn't be more right here, especially after what we've seen so far this season. Uh, and on Monday night, nine innings, only four hits there. One walk to eight strikeouts. Um, and, of course, a nine-inning shutout. That gets his ERA down to 272. That was at the top of the trolley. Uh, this one, I don't know, maybe, uh, we can workshop the name a little bit here. How about the, the sour pierogi? I was gone, Marty. Uh, this one has a, a little bit of a story behind it. I was, I was away for a while. I had some pierogies in my freezer. My power was shut off though. And the, uh, pierogies went bad there. So I think they were a little bit sour. Well, what's the sour pierogies? What's the worst thing? There's a lot of bad. What was the worst thing, uh, you saw in pirates baseball? I, I, for me, it's something that I kept hinting at all year was a problem, but it wasn't biting the team. It's finally biting the team, man. Their defense is not good. They're not a good defensive baseball team. Um, they've allowed 14 unearned runs this year, which is the fourth most in the National League. It's it, This is where you see the, that loss of O'Neill Cruz also. Um, say what you want about Cruz. He's got to make some throwing errors at shortstop, but he's going to make a lot of plays a lot of guys won't. And there's a lot of routine plays that he's going to make that haven't been made. And if you have him in short, you have Rodolfo Castro at second, where Castro is much more suited. Just um, the, the defense is really starting to hurt them. I mean, Tuesday night, it was 10 to 1, but there were some really costly defensive plays early in that game where if they're made, 
it, it might not get out of hand. It, it's a totally different baseball game if some defensive plays are executed and you're going to the sixth, seventh inning and the score's two to one, three to one, whatever it might be, not seven, eight to one, whatever it was for the Rockies added on late. And then obviously Wednesday, that's just a complete gaff by Rich Hill. Um, and they just, you can't have that, especially from a veteran starting pitcher. I mean, I think with Wednesday, what made that loss so frustrating was it, it looked like you were in good shape to not just win that game, potentially win it kind of comfortably. And that Hill era occurred, Rockies tied the game. And, you know, as, as we'll get into here shortly, um, there were some other issues that game. I think, you know, what happened in the sixth inning was a bigger reason they lost to Rich Hill. But, yeah, through April and that great start, this team's defense wasn't good, especially the middle infield. And it just never really burnt them because they were pitching so well, they were hitting the ball. Um, but it's starting to bite them now. And they, they've got to get that figured out. I know it's not popular. I know some people want to hear because the guy can't really hit. But I think right now Chris Owings needs to be at shortstop every single day just to solidify that middle infield defense. Um, play Castro at second base against every lefty and against some righties, get sprinkling some Tucapita Marcano. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, if you look at what Owings is going to give you defensively, the the offensive drop off. I mean, honestly, he has better career. Now, this not necessarily an apples to apples because Marcano is twenty three years old and has shown some things. Definitely has some growth left in that bat, but he has better career numbers than Marcano anyway. And G one Bay has low key been pretty bad after a strong start to the year. So um, you're probably not losing a ton offensively and probably can make up for it defensively. But yeah, this they've got to get this defense figured out. Um, it's not just the middle infield that's just where it's been most painfully obvious. But I mean. Catcher Austin Hedges has been terrible at controlling the opposing run game. Um, Jason Delay, I mean, Delay's been fine defensively, but botched that pop up on Tuesday night that led to like three or four rocky runs, really let them put that game away. So just you got to be better defensively. It starts up the middle. I mean, it's the old baseball adage you got to be strong up the middle, right? And right now the Pirates aren't on the middle infield, but I think. You know, moving forward, I'd like to see a lot of Owens at shortstop with Castro and Marcano at second because I think that really goes a long way towards cleaning up some of your defensive snafus. I mean, you know, it's major league baseball players are going to capitalize when you make errors like that, but it just feels like the the timeliness of these errors. I mean, every time you know a ground ball is flubbed, a pop fly is dropped up, we're seeing it lead to multiple runs. You know, we're seeing it blow up a start. And I think you obviously don't feel as confident about this rotation so far, but you know this defense has led to that in a sense. Here, it's uh, it's led to some starts that could have been salvaged, could have been a lot different. Um, you know, they've ended up in the dumps because of just so many errors now and, and so much poor defense. Um, Rich Hill, obviously, if he makes that play, the Pirates um, maybe they go on to win that game. Who won't play the what ifs, but uh, that's a key moment in that game. You know, that's a, that's a ground ball that a little leaguer could have fielded and made the play on. Um, I think two runs came, came in to score that inning ties the game three to three. The Rockies go on to win it four to three. They win the series two to one. I think this is uh you know, this series is so telling of how things have shifted because you dominate the Rockies in Colorado, sweep them um, with ease. You come home, you win the opener, and we kind of tease leading up to the series. It's like, just get us to, to Colorado. Just get us past Toronto. Get us past Tampa Bay. Whatever it takes to get us to that series against Colorado. They win game one in dominant fashion, a complete game shutout. And you feel like that was kind of, uh, you know, maybe another turning point for this team. It wasn't. This was a bad, feel-bad series for a lot of reasons. They get dominated in game number two, 10-1. to one. Um, and they just blow it. They blow it on Wednesday uh, in a game that Andrew McCutcheon again flexes the muscle, now six away from 300 in the home run category. You get a three to nothing lead. You're feeling good. Rich Hill has some confidence, um, you know, and then that's sixth inning. And then uh, you don't score a run with the bases loaded. Just the little things in this game, Marty. Uh, your overall thoughts on the series and, um, you know, just getting a little bit more detail. What could the Pirates have done differently to uh, maybe at least win one more game and take the series? Yeah, it was definitely a frustrating series because this was a series they should have won. They had no business losing Wednesday. When McCutcheon hit that home run to make it three to nothing, it was like, all right, just take a deep breath. It's win this game, win this series, off day Thursday, it'll be all right. And 
Then the Hill error occurred. I mean, Rich Hill did not look happy when Derek Sheldon was taking him off the mound. He'd only thrown 75 pitches, but it's like, man, you know what? Make a routine play, and you're still in this game. You've thrown 10 to 12 less pitches. You're up three to one after four innings. <clears throat> Excuse me. It just changes everything. Um, but to me, as big of a blunder as that was by Hill, to me, the biggest problem in that game was that sixth inning. Bases loaded, nobody out. You're facing Daniel Bard, um, who, you know, da- Daniel Bard had absolutely no idea where the ball <laughs> was going. And the dude was out of baseball for what, like seven years because of the case of the yips? Like, man, you got to get a run in there. Bases loaded, nobody else, especially when they left him in to face Connor Joe. And just a really, a rare poor at bat from Joe. He's got to put the ball in play there. The last thing you can do is strike out, especially looking. And then Castro just hits a missile, but right at center field, not deep enough to score Reynolds. Um, and then the Rockies turn around, load the base with nobody out in the seventh, and they do score a run. And that, that was your game. That was the game. That, that to me, was the game. Um there was opportunities there. Like I said, base load, nobody out in the 16, you know, screaming in the ninth inning, they had the winning run in second base. And I mean, Josh Palacio says it's a good story. I wrote about him on the site, but it's like he struck out and in a bat where he never saw a pitch. Like you, you, you got to have better patience at the plate there or never saw a strike. Excuse me. Got to have better patience at the plate there. Get it to the top of the lineup. I just frustrating series loss. Cause it's not a, Tuesday night. That game, like I said, better defense early. You don't know what happens, but they lost 10 to 1. You throw it out. But Wednesday afternoon, they had no business losing that game, and they found a way to lose, and that's just where this team's at right now. You know, are they as good as that 20 and 8 start? No. Are they as bad as what they've done since then? Absolutely not. They're somewhere in between. Um, You know, my preseason prediction was that they would be a 74-1 ball club. I think they're probably, when healthy, which is definitely a factor right now also, but when healthy, I think they're a little bit closer to an 80-win club than I thought. And, you know, if you could kind of play at that 80-ish win pace the rest of the way, you're going to finish a couple games over 500, which might win the NL Central this year. But, um, yeah, just right now they're in one of those ruts, the ebbs and flow of baseball, where everything can go wrong can. And I do think the injuries are hurting them more than people realize as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, thankfully the injuries of the pitching staff haven't hurt them too much yet. Um, it looks like Velasquez should probably be okay to go after another week, week and a half. Um, in the bullpen, to their credit, just continues to be fine, even with injuries down there. <coughs> Excuse me, but this lineup's getting hit hard, man. I mean, you look at that Blue Jay series when Kutch couldn't play at all because of the ankle. How nice would it have been to have G Man Choi to throw him there at DH? You know, um, obviously, O'Neill Cruz. Nothing more needs to be said. They miss his bat. They miss his presence. They miss his speed. They miss his glove. They miss everything he brings to the table. Um, so yeah, your your injuries are starting to hit this team, and I, I think if they can, it, the rest of this month it's going to be about weather and the storm. Because if you look at their schedule for the rest of May, it's 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 not easy. It is a. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if Detroit's still under 500 because they're red hot right now. If they are, they won't play a sub-500 club till they get the Giants to the end of the month. And even if Detroit is still under 500, I apologize for not knowing that. I probably should. But um, like I said, the Tigers have been as hot as anybody in the American League this month. So it's not going to be an easy two days at Comerica Park next week either. So, yeah, just just you got to weather it. If you are a good club, if you are a club capable of winning a division championship like they've looked like thus far, this is the kind of month where it's like, hey, you know what? We've got injuries. We're struggling. The schedule's tough. We're just going to pull our bootstraps up, play 500 ball or close to it these next couple weeks. And then when you flip the calendar to June, the schedule, not that it gets easier, but it's definitely, it lightens up. It lightens up. You get the A's, you get the Cardinals have been a mess. You get the Mets who look like a mess. So it lightens up. You just, you got to get there right now. Yeah. And you know, you feel so unconfident heading into the stretch too, because well, I think when they were as hot as they were that two-week, three-week stretch, they could have beat anybody in baseball, but they still haven't really proven it, you know, against a, a, what would be considered a quality team, teams above 500. Uh, we're still waiting on that, you know, that 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 first series where they kind of get over that hill. And um, like I said, I you know, I think when they're at their best, when they're healthy, <laughs> you'll see that. But uh, still waiting on that. This is an opportunity now to go prove that. A uh, couple just strategy questions for you here, Marty, before we move on and kind of preview Baltimore a little bit. Um, was it right to to take out Rich Hill in that situation? 
Um, and, you know, I guess just kind of generally, how have you felt about the timing of Derek Shelton's moves with pitchers? I didn't hate taking Hill out there. I mean, I may have left him in. Um, it's not like he was pitching poorly. It's just that error killed him. And it was there. He committed. But um, I almost thought watching that unfold, watching the exchange between the two, to me it was almost like Shelton trying to send a message of, hey, you know what? We're stuck in this rut, but if you're not going to do your job, you're coming off the field. And I don't know. I probably never will know. I wouldn't be surprised if after the game he and Rich sat down in his office and had that conversation because Rich Hill, as a veteran who's been there, done it, been through it all, would totally understand that as well. Of, hey, you know what? We're really struggling right now. I needed to make an example out of somebody. I knew you was one of my veteran leaders. I could sit down and have this conversation with you and you'd understand it. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but I, I didn't, I understood it. I probably would have let him try and get out of that inning, press restart, and then go another inning or two, but I didn't mind it. And it's not like it hurt him. That's not why they lost. The bullpen did fine. Dowry Moretta came out and was just filthy for two innings. And even the inning where Stevenson loaded the bases and gave up the run, the dude loaded the bases, nobody out and got out of that, only giving up one run. Um, and when your bullpen has to cover, what 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 did what was that? They wound up covering like five and a third innings that day or whatever. When your bullpen has to pitch that much, only gives up one run, you're taking that every single time. So pulling Rich Hill didn't cost him that game. I, I think with Derek Shelton, I know people have had some qualms with him this year. He's made some decisions I didn't like. But I also think you've seen him grow leaps and bounds as a manager from when he started in 2020. There's no doubt in my mind there. And I also think, and I think I've said this on here before this year, it's not a coincidence that the year in which Derek Shelton looks the most competent he has as a manager is also the year he has by far and away the most talented roster he's had. Crazy how that can work out for you sometimes. But no, I think Shelton's been fine this year. I think Derek Shelton has had a good year as a manager. Um, Really, the only game I can think of where I think a decision he made may have directly cost them a game was that extra innings loss in St. Louis when they could have taken three or four and he went to Will Crow in the 10th. But with who was available that day, I understood why he went to Will Crow because he was the only bullpen arm available who either had not already pitched in that game or was going to be available in that game with any sort of high leverage situations in the past under his belt. Um, I think now a month later, he would go to Jose Hernandez there. He didn't want to go to the Rule 5 guy there. I understood that that early in the year. But, um, yeah, I think Shelton's been perfectly fine this year. I think Derek Shelton is the least of this team's problems. Yeah, no doubt. And you said it. I mean, when you have uh, a little bit better tools to work with, you're going to be in a little bit better shape. So um, you can see the frustration, though, on Rich Hill's face, obviously verbally frustrated. Uh, just a tough day, a really, um, you know, sour loss. I think you put this right there with that loss against Los Angeles in game one. Um, you know, even that loss at St. Louis in extra innings, a few losses that just really make you, uh, you, you kick yourself here to think about what this team could be. Um, if they just could get those those little wins there uh, and, you know, what it would have meant to win this series, get back on track. But, hey, there's opportunity here against Baltimore. We're going to preview that series uh, with our guy. Michael from Birds Watcher in just a minute. Before we do that, let's get a couple of these other little mini segments in here. Um, got a few tweets. We're going to start doing tweets of the week on here. So, guys, tweet at us. I know you already do. Uh, we have such a great Twitter fan base as well. Um, always fun interacting through our run under Twitter. Uh, let's get to a couple of tweets here, though, Marty. I picked out a few. Um, let's start with our guy, Fake Mark Bowman. Kind of a crazy stat. This one not pertaining too much to what's going on right now. Uh, but a wild stat to think about. Since 1990, the Braves have won more NL West division titles than the Mets, have won NL East division titles at 3-2, to and the Pirates have won more NL East championships since 1990 than the Mets have at 3-2. to Sorry if there's any Mets fans listening. Uh, there's not a lot to get excited about the last 10 games. It's something to, to maybe perk you up here on this Friday. Pirates have, uh, have won three NL East division title since 1990 maybe they got a central title here in their future uh the second tweet i had if you like all three pittsburgh teams you're a sound individual if you like just the steelers you're probably a raging alcoholic uh if you like just the penguins you peaked in high school uh and if you only like the pirates you have a mental illness and are entitled to compensation i agree i went from pirates sadness 22 great tweet there 
Uh, and then one, one bonus tweet. Um, this one also doesn't really have much to do with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but the name, Pirate Hunter Dre, uh, officially quit vaping today. Didn't know why. Uh, I don't know why I did that shit in the first place. So uh, congratulations to Pirate Hunter Dre there as well. But uh, just kind of a sneak preview at, at our tweets of the week. We want more of those. So, guys, be sure to get those in. Be sure to uh, tweet at us, and we'll get more of those onto the show as we move along here. We are going to get to our guy, Michael, in just a minute. Uh, Marty, one more thing before we do that. Um, we're going to start a segment called More, Extend, and Fire into the Sun. And this is, you know, maybe we can work on the name here a little bit too, Marty. But this is, uh, you know, a pretty common game, typically known as F- Mary Kill. We're going to change that to More, Extend, Fire into the Sun. More, uh, you know, a guy we want to see more of, a guy that, that maybe is a sleeper that caught your eye this week. Extend, I guess, kind of in a sense, your player of the week here. And fire into the sun, obviously, the player that, uh, that we want gone, that we want to see less of. Uh, Marty, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. If you had to, to pick three guys, who are we going with? Let's start with, uh, with our more. Who's a sleeper that, that kind of caught your attention? I mean, I know we touched on it here a little bit, but man, just keep giving me more and more Dowry Moreta. Um, I know before the year I picked him as kind of one of my sleeper guys on this team. He has been awesome. Um, I He brings that kind of that it factor and that swag that this bullpen has not had in a long time. Um, so, and he pitched a lot of quality innings this week, that especially that Wednesday game against the Rockies. Um, when Hill left early, Moreta did all he could to keep them in position to win that game. So give me more. Give, give me more Dowry Moreta. Really excited to see where the rest of the season, his first full major league season, takes him. I like it, Dowry Moreta. Uh, big week. He's been such a fun player. Um, it's such a such a fun trade to look at here too. The Kevin Newman deal there. Uh, I think we can agree. Extend Mitch Keller. I mean, Mitch yeah, Keller yeah. far and away the player of the week. No doubt. We'll save some yeah, time there. Uh, fire into the sun. Who who would you like to nominate here, Marty? I mean, to me, this is an easy one because, in my opinion, the guy just brings absolutely nothing to this team. I don't care about whatever you want to say about calling again. Just get Austin Hedges off this team. He's providing nothing. Um, he's a good pitch framer. I'll give him that, but so is Jason DeLay. Um, Hedges statistically has been the worst hitter in Major League Baseball for five going on six seasons now. He is dreadful at the plate. He cannot control an opposing running game. Um. Yeah, get get hedges as far away from this team as possible. I don't care what he brings in the clubhouse. I don't care about his ability to supposedly call a great game or whatever. Get him away from this team, far, far away. Your offense stinks. He is providing very little defensively. Get rid of him. Get Henry Davis up here. You took the kid number one overall for a reason. When a college bat goes number one overall, you expect him to be in the majors within a year and after two years. Henry Davis has no reason to still be in the minor leagues. Get him up here and get Austin Davis or Austin Hedges. Excuse me. Austin Davis is already well gone, but get Austin Hedges as far away from this team as you can. It's crazy, man. Almost like uh, two of the Pirates' top prospects are catchers that are playing extremely well in the minors. Um, yeah, it was fun, Marty. We're going to get back to that segment in later weeks, so uh, appreciate you, you playing the game there. But um, let's get to it. We got our guy Michael Naharian. Ready to join the show, going to break down the series, going to learn a little bit more about the Baltimore Orioles, who uh, it's a fun ball club there. Fun start to their season. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Michael Naharian. We are now joined by Michael Najarian, a Birds watcher, part of our fan-sided family, covering the Orioles, doing a great job uh, covering Baltimore. You can check his scoop out at birdswatcher.com. Michael, I got to apologize right away. I said your name wrong probably two or three times in the lead up to our interview. So uh, it's great to, to finally learn that. It's great to have you on the podcast tonight. Excited to hear about the Orioles and uh, you know preview this upcoming series, Pirates-Orioles, this weekend. Um, but I know you just had a nice Mother's Day dinner. Got a lot going on. How are, uh, how are things in Baltimore? Well, things are going, things are going pretty good. Yeah, I just had a... Uh... Had a good couple of days. Uh, Orioles are doing pretty well themselves, so excited to keep it going. What a fun team, this Baltimore Orioles squad here. A lot of young talent, you know, obviously an amazing start to this season. What has been your favorite part to get it started here about this 2023 group? Yeah, the favorite, the best thing is, I mean, just they're building off such a great unexpected run in 2022, and they 
really built a lot of momentum with a strong year and they're kind of it's good to see them running with it to start 2023 they're off to a better start than a lot of people myself included even expected so that's that's really great to see through a month and change with the orioles you know i think with a lot of pirate fans especially older pirate fans there's always kind of that nostalgia there with baltimore you know after the 1970s and uh you know it, it would be it's it's always to me it's one of the more entertaining one of the more fun interleague series i look forward to um, I don't really have a good reason for it, but honestly, if I wasn't a Pirates fan, I'd probably be an Orioles fan. Um, I don't know if it's just, you know, I I spent a lot of time in the summer young when I was younger, like down in the Delmarva area. So there's always Orioles people around. Or when the Orioles went back to the old school logo a few years ago, I love it. So I have no real rhyme or reason for it. But I've, if I wasn't a Pirates fan, I'd probably be an Orioles fan. So I always look forward to playing the Orioles. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's always fun, always a fun series. They're they're it's kind of, it's not it's interleague, but they're close enough to each other where it honestly feels like they should play a little more often. Yeah, and now with the new schedule, they get to. And I think part of it too, again, just kind of the Pittsburgh. A lot of people with it, just the the rivalry over the years between the Steelers and the Ravens. I think just in the minds of a lot of people, kind of spills over into this, where it's like, all right, it's Pittsburgh and Baltimore. They're supposed to play a lot. The games are supposed to be close. They're supposed to be heated. It's supposed to be a fun rivalry. So rather it ever actually becomes that or not, I do think a lot of people probably have that mindset. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that definitely has an effect on it just because of the, like you said, the Steelers-Ravens rivalry that's gone so far back. But it's good, good start to the season for both teams. So it should be, should be a fun series. This might be the best color matchup in baseball, too, for thinking about it. You've got the black and gold. Yeah, the orange and black to go along with it. I don't know if you saw the City Connect leak that uh, that went down this week. Uh, I'm no comments here. I'm not. Gonna, <laughs> you're a guest, Michael. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk trash about it. That's yeah. all right. Maybe uh, maybe it's not real. We'll see. Uh, but this has always been a, a fun matchup, and we didn't get to see it a lot leading up to this season with the schedule change. We're gonna get to see this more. Pirates going to Baltimore, uh, going to Camden Yards, one of I think the coolest ballparks in baseball. Um, but, you know, as far as this series goes, Michael, kind of give us a snapshot of, of where Baltimore is at right now. Obviously, like you said, both great starts to the season. The Pirates uh, are still in first place in the NL Central, but you know, they've won one out of their last 10. They're struggling. They need this series to bounce back. Where's Baltimore at right now? Yeah, well, the Orioles are coming in with a good deal of momentum. They are second place in the AL East. They are 24 and 13. They're just coming off a series win against the Tampa Bay Rays, which not a lot of people can boast that they've won a series against the Tampa Bay Rays. And they got, last game, they got great pitching from Dean Kramer, who's been one of the Orioles. He's been kind of struggling to start the season, but he's strung together a couple good starts. And he's starting to turn it around lately. Like the Orioles are got some, some really good talent in that lineup, despite an injury to Ramon Arias lately. They've still kind of held their ground they're six and four in their last 10 they're 11 and five at home they've they're riding a solid bit of momentum i don't know if you've seen the uh the homer hose they got going on when they yeah, it's pretty awesome not gonna lie yeah yeah they whenever they hit a homer they got they take a chug of water through the hose it's actually it's pretty funny how does that kind of stuff start like what is the what, what's the origin <laughs> I don't. I'm honestly not sure. I think it. I think it had something to do with Ryan Mountcastle. Don't quote me on that, but I I believe that's believe he had a role in it. He actually said like when at first grade he goes, "It's not a dong bong." <laughs> not, don't call it that. <laughs> that's, that's way more fun. I wish that was the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like man. don't don't call it that. Man, we got a we got a jacket in our dugout that uh, they haven't been able to put on a whole bunch the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but. no, I, I remember last last year the Orioles were uh, were rocking a jacket, and I think I think the the hose is a little I think the hose is a little more fun. Exciting! It's unique. Yeah. It's unique. You know, this is a team that maybe exceeded expectations last season. Give us a little bit of a rundown on this rebuild and, and what has led to the success we're seeing this year, the success we saw last year. And, um, you know, just kind of from your perspective, what, uh, you know, what, what has made this possible? Pirates have gone through a, a pretty long rebuild here themselves. 
Um, but, you know, from another team that's kind of in that spot now, maybe a step ahead, uh, what do you think's led to all this? Yeah, well, it, it was a rather long rebuild after their small little run of playoff success in the mid-2010s. Uh, and like you said, they probably did overachieve a little bit last season. I mean, heck, their team president came out and said the same thing to the media. But a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with Adley Rutschman, who they called up in May of last season. Before they called him up, they were kind of looked like they were going to be the team that we had seen the last couple of years. Just not a wholly inspiring team that's going to win a lot of baseball games. He came up and something clicked. Like they had the best record in the bigs from that point on from like it's the Adley Rutschman effect as we call it like he's so great working with the pitching staff uh he's got big he's got big talent with the bat he just hit a homer in that Tampa Bay series all the way out to uh Utah Street which doesn't happen a whole lot like he's he's really had a lot to do with it just himself and then also just the young talent in general they have had the best farm system in baseball for a couple of years running now. Uh, some of those young guys, Gunnar Henderson's one of them, Felix Bautista's another that have just have come up and played really well. And it's combination of everybody just doing that, playing really well. Uh, that's kind of led the Orioles to this point. So much young talent. Um, and I love it. The, the Adley effect there. He's uh He's come up. He has lived up to the hype. Um, you know, you, you worry when you take guys like that in the high rounds, how quickly they can move. And, um, you know, if the timing is going to work out, everything has worked out perfectly in Baltimore. You might have heard it when you jumped in. Uh, Pirates have some young catching talent that they hope does the same here. Uh, what's one thing that that you're a little bit, I guess you're, you're watching closely, the most closely this weekend as the Pirates take on the Orioles. Don't know how much homework you've done on the Pirates, but um, you know as far as matchups go and, and guys that um, you're excited to face, what do you think is maybe the biggest challenge this weekend for Baltimore? Well, it's just it's, it's kind of the starting pitching. It's been kind of it's been up and down all season. Uh, Kyle Gibson, their opening day starter, has done a good job of eating innings, but he's not exactly keeping runs off the scoreboard. Uh, he's got, he's got an ERA in the mid fours. He's allowed six home runs. Uh, he's, he's kind of, he's a good innings eater. That's kind of what his role is, but he's having a little trouble on the scoreboard. And then also Kyle Bradish, who's starting the opening game for Baltimore. He hasn't exactly kept a lot of runs off the scoreboard either. He's kind of been hit hard. So if, I mean, if the Orioles want to keep this going, they have to. The starting pitching has to do better. It's really with those two guys who are starting this series in particular that Brandon Hyatt has to uh, watch a little closely. Yeah, you know, coming into the series, I think the Pirates um, are in a similar position where Friday night starter is going to be Johan Oviedo, who just got off to a tremendous start this year, and his last two outings have just not been good at all against Toronto which, I mean, it's Toronto. Their lineups can make a lot of guys look bad, but he also really struggled against a pretty poor Nats lineup. Um, and then this weekend, you have Ronzi Contreras and Mitch Keller Saturday and Sunday who are the two – your top two guys, your, your two rotation anchors if you're Pittsburgh. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's – I know this is this is a bold prediction, crazy thing to say in baseball, but probably, you know, whichever group gets a better starting pitching will be pretty happy with where the series goes. But, you know, yeah. with, with the Pirates, that's how they got off to the start they did was their starting rotation – it has struggled some in the last week, week and a half, which is why they've struggled. But, uh, yeah, this could definitely – it seems like from what you've said, it's going to be similar feelings going into the weekend where both teams, despite strong starts, probably still have some questions about their starting rotation and would love to see some things kind of start to settle out a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the Orioles lineup has uh, has been really good. Like they're – a big reason why the team has gotten off to the start they have, but yeah, the starting pitching has been rather pedestrian to put it so far this season. Like they called up Grayson Rodriguez, their top pitching prospect, not too far into the season. And he's had his moments, but altogether that hasn't been a whole lot of spectacular stuff you've seen from him. And I've already talked a little bit about Bradish and Gibson and their little bit of struggles this season. Dean Kramer is another one who, had a really strong 2022 season has so far not been able to replicate that success. He's had a couple good starts recently that 
hopefully is the turning of the corner of that. You can make an argument that their best starter is Tyler Wells, who if Grayson Rodriguez was in the rotation to start opening day, Tyler Wells wouldn't have been. And like, he's got a low three ERA. Like he's coming off a pretty good start against one of the better lineups in baseball, that being the Atlanta Braves. So somebody who maybe wasn't projected to be in the rotation to start the season has been their best starter. And I don't, I think it's, a little bit of an indictment on the Orioles rotation, but it's also a credit to Tyler Wells because he has, he has pitched really well. Pedestrian, man. I like it. That's uh that's a fun way to put it. I think, you know, you look at the, uh, the AL East, it's going to be far from pedestrian this season. You guys, big series win over Tampa Bay, four yeah. and a half out uh, heading into the weekend here. What's your outlook on the rest of the season? Is this division attainable? I think it is. I mean, I don't think the Rays can't be this good all season. I I just don't think that's going to happen. I think tell you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a tight, tight division race all year. I mean, so far every team in the division's over five hundred. I mean, the Orioles were largely picked either fourth or fifth, depending on how people felt about them versus the Red Sox, but. Had a really good start to the season. They've kind of seized the momentum that's been given to them. They've they did a good job stacking wins in April against you know teams like Oakland and the White Sox, who you know they're not pushovers. They were supposed to beat them, but they've also you know they beat the Rays in a series. They beat the Red Sox, who have suddenly looked really good. The Texas Rangers, who were off to a really good start. The Orioles have beaten them in a series. They. Uh, didn't win the series against Atlanta, but they did take one game against them. Like some of these wins aren't exactly like, aren't exactly pushover wins. Like the Orioles have, have earned a lot of these wins and it's like, yeah, I think this division is very attainable for them at this point. I think, you know, could have taken two out of three, could have swept Atlanta. Yeah, they very well could have. Yeah. Uh, if it uh, if it makes you feel any better, the Pirates are in first in their division. They would be last in the AL East right now. Uh, you know, we lament often about 2015, 2013, um, these seasons where you know Pirates win upper 90s and didn't win their division. Baltimore in such a difficult division this season, such a fun division. Um, you know, with even surprises like Boston, uh, New York yeah. at the bottom. Obviously, the firepower is there. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch how. This division shakes out, um, you know, and obviously we're extremely excited about how the series is going to shake out this weekend. Series mm-hmm. is in Baltimore. Like to get a taste of, uh, of what's going on. Maybe we have some Pirates fans that are listening that are going to be traveling or, you know, going to be in Baltimore not too far away this weekend. What's the best thing about Baltimore? What's the number one thing to do? Oh, Baltimore. <laughs> Listen, the area where Camden Yards is, it's around the harbor, the the inner Harbor in Baltimore is really, it's, it's great. I was down there taking a trip down there last July, went kind of around the area. The, it's really pretty around there. There's a lot of historic stuff around the city and the inner Harbor specifically. Uh, and I mean, the ballpark itself is also just really beautiful. I mean, it's, it's can watch the, outfield for hours i mean it's so it's it's great it's a great little area of the city that camden yards is in uh good little it's a good little good little ballpark to visit i really like it i think marty has a a hairspray sightseeing tour scheduled for the weekend as well so um looking forward to this series uh looking forward to see if the pirates can bounce back here see if the orioles can can stay hot uh and maybe you know, gain some ground on Tampa Bay as the weekend goes on. We hope not, but we wish uh, the best of luck as this series, um, you know, gets underway here on Friday night. Marty, anything else uh, you got for Michael? No, I don't think so. Like I said, looking forward to the series, looking forward to seeing Baltimore. Um, fun team. Adley Rushman is very quickly, I think, become one of, like, everybody's favorite players in baseball. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to a fun series. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the Orioles. I don't know if I'm necessarily looking forward to what I think the series is going to go this weekend. But, um, yeah, just looking forward to it. I love Camden Yards, one of my favorite ballparks. It should be a lot of fun. 
Michael, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the podcast. You're part of the Fan Sided Network. We like to give you know any of our guests a chance to highlight work going on, highlight the site, Birds Watcher. Um, you know, anything you want to you want to break down about what you got going on over there and uh, anything you got coming out of? Yeah, no, we got uh, a lot of it's your number one stop for uh, Orioles content. We got out there. We got not just the major league team. Every week we do a minor league recap, let you know how the top-ranked farm system in baseball is going. Uh, we got some good feature pieces coming out on some really good Orioles players, namely – Yenier Cano, a relief pitcher who's really kind of burst onto the scene. I'm sure the Pirates will be seeing a good deal of him this weekend as he's been really hot. Uh, just a lot of, you know, talk about series previews. There's one up about the Pirates. Uh, Going to do a series recap as well. Just a lot, of, a lot of good stuff going on at Birds Watcher from me and the contributor team. So, if you want to catch up on the Orioles, go to birdswatcher.com. Michael Najarian, site expert at Birds Watcher. Go check out all that stuff. Go check them out over there on uh, as part of our, our fan-sided family here. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know it's a busy time, busy weekend. We appreciate you, you coming on and previewing this whole thing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to, good to hop on for a little bit. Great interview there with our guy, Michael Najarian. Najarian. Appreciate him coming on to the podcast. Uh, appreciate all the work they do at Birds Watcher for our fan-sided team here. Marty, I know we, uh, we got some feline madness going on in the Leap household tonight, so I you get uh, all the cats taken care of there. Uh, <laughs> as we wrap it up here, last thoughts on, uh, you know, on this Baltimore series. Got to a lot of it there with our interview, but, uh, you know, anything else you're looking out for this weekend you're excited for? Yeah, I mean, like I said, Michael, I, I have no real rhyme or reason for it, but if I wasn't a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, I'd probably be a Baltimore Orioles fan. There's just something about the Orioles I've always liked. Um, you know, like I said, I love their logo, especially when they went back to the old school logo. I, I love that down through the Delmarva Peninsula and the Maryland Eastern Shore, one of my favorite parts of this entire country. So I'd probably place part in it. But, uh, yeah, no, looking forward to the series. It be a fun series. Adley Rushman is just such a player. Um They've got guys up and down that lineup. I don't necessarily expect things to go well for the Pirates this weekend per se, but um, Baltimore's a fun young team to watch, so that should make it an entertaining series at least. Got to believe, Marty. <laughs> Got to have faith. I mean, this is uh, this is our chance to turn it all around here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we talked about it there. What a division it has been so far, the AL East. And Baltimore's, you know, has been one of the, the more nice surprises in all of baseball so far this season. Fun team. Uh, I think something else we can identify with, you know, they've kind of been the lovable losers, small market, you know, they have a, a similar brand and they're winning games. They rebuilt it correctly and uh, it's paid off for them. I think we're kind of seeing the pirates come into the same uh, arc of success here, hopefully, um, you know, and for the Orioles, they're 11 games over right now. Who knows what this looks like in October and September, but uh, a fun start going to be a fun series coming up this weekend. Let's do a little minor league minute here. Uh, anything um, you're most excited about in the minors, obviously at the top, Henry Davis, these guys have been continuing to, to murder it. We saw a guy promoted, make a start this week uh, that we had talked about in our last minor league minute. Uh, but anything you're looking out in particular, anything um, that you like from the minors this week? Yeah. I mean, Henry Davis, obviously the big one. Um, I, I don't, I just don't know what he has left to prove at double a. And I also don't know how much he'd actually get out of a trip to triple a. Um, he's slashing 316, 464, 711 <laughs> without tuna right now. Walking at a 17% rate, only striking out at a 20% rate. Has eight home runs already. Um, yeah, he's finally healthy and he's showing why he was the number one overall pick in the draft. I, again, I don't know what he has left to prove without tuna. Um, Wednesday night, he hit two home runs, had a double, was on base, I think, six times. And Ben Charrington was in person. Um, Davis didn't play for Altoona on Thursday. Probably just a coincidence, but who knows? Maybe by Friday he will be at a different level. I don't know. By the time you listen to this, maybe he's in Indy. Maybe we get lucky and he meets a team in Baltimore. That's not going to happen. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Um, other than other than Davis, though, a guy who's kind of falling the radar. I apologize for that. A guy I tried to close an ad and actually clicked on play. But um, a guy who's flying under the radar – in the AAA bullpen is Colin Selby, who was added to the team's 40-man roster in the offseason to protect him from the Roll 5 draft. Um, 14 innings pitched, 4 Indy this year, 321 ERA, 
and he has 17 strikeouts, um, has not allowed a home run, has only given up eight hits in his 14 innings. Um, the dude's got some filthy, nasty stuff. Um, I would like to see him in this bullpen probably sooner rather than later. They're going to option a position player to go back to four bench guys in an eight man bullpen. Um, when that happens, I would love to see that move be Selby. And there's probably a good shot. It is Selby because if you look at the 40 man roster, it cannot be Cody Bolton because he was just optioned. So he's going to be in the minors for what is it? I think 12 days now, 14, whatever it is without injury. Um, Yuri De Los Santos has been awful this season. So, I think there is a chance it would be Selby, and I'm really excited whenever Selby is promoted to see what he can do in the majors. You know, while we're on it real quick, how did you feel about the Bolton option? Do you think uh, that was – I don't know. Like, I didn't – that whole sequence there was kind of weird to me. Um, in my mind, the no-brainer move to make room for a tease was to designate Chase DeYoung for assignment. Chase DeYoung did get designated for assignment, but um, – I would have liked to see Bolton stay up. I'm sure we're going to see Bolton again um, this year, but that whole sequence was weird to me to go five bench players right now. Um, especially it'd be different if like one of your catchers were banged up and he wanted to get another guy up here who could catch or something. But yeah, to me going five bench players when it isn't because you need a, a third string catcher or something is just weird. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. Like I said, I'm assuming maybe when they get to Baltimore tomorrow, we see this go back down to a four man bench, but uh, yeah, I would have liked to see Bolton stay. Um, but I, I think we'll definitely see him again. And we're probably going to see him getting a pretty extended look this year. Cause he's one of those guys. I'm sure the pirates want to try and figure out what they have in him. I mean, at one point he was arguably the top pitching prospect in the farm system and then injuries and COVID and just all kinds of things happened. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming we will definitely get to, uh, get to see Bolton again this year and get to see a lot of them. I hope so too. You know, I hope Bolton, obviously Davis, if, if we could here sooner than later, I think that's what, um, you know, what everybody's just waiting on at this point, Quinn Priester, maybe some Indy Rodriguez in there, some Nick Gonzalez, uh, but time will tell, um, you know, and at this point there's really nothing in their way. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, that's our minor league minute, Marty, as we begin to wrap up the episode tonight. Anything else uh, you want to highlight going on with um, with the website? Anything got coming out this week? On Thursday, I mean, you may have read this by now if you're listening to the site or listening to the podcast. On Thursday, I had a piece out about Jason Delay, his start to the season, and a lot of uh, advanced metri- metrics, underlying stats there to make it seem like that. That this red hot start he's off to the plate is, is definitely not sustainable. Um, in addition to that, Noah has a really fun piece up that went out on Thursday evening also about some players in recent pirate memory who either spent their inspired by Drew Maggi who spent either their entire, most of their pirate tenure in the minors fun read there. A lot of names that you probably never heard of, or at least have definitely forgotten about. They're going to pop up in that one. But um, yeah, other than that, just our daily coverage, keep covering this team, keep covering the minor leagues every night with our minor league roundup, our uh, series recaps, all that stuff. And uh yeah, just keep following along. Hopefully we start winning some baseball games again here soon. But, uh, hey, you know, I know you got to put things in perspective with where this team started and, and everything kind of comes with a caveat or however you want to put it. But had I told you this team was going to go to Baltimore on May 12th, they were going to be over 500 and be closing in on what will be 20 straight days in first place or whatever, you would have taken it in a heartbeat. So just keep that in your mind, as frustrating as it is right now. And also think, hey, you know what? The ebbs and flows of baseball, you're, every team, I don't care if you're the best team in baseball, the worst team in baseball, you're going to have these stretches where you're going to go 1-9, and nine, you're going to go 3-13, and 13, whatever it is. If anything, my big thing with this right now with the Pirates stuck in a 1-9 stretch, seeing how lucky they are that the entire division stinks right now. Um, so going 1-9 and nine really hasn't hurt them. They've, they're still in first place. Um, their lead has never been bigger than a game and a half at any point this year. So since it's at half a game. So yeah, this, this stretch really hasn't hurt them because the entire division stinks. And the only team in this division that really has won, I think more than three games in the last 10 days is the Cardinals. And two of those came against the Cubs. So it kind of worked out in the Pirates' favor anyway, because the Cubs are a lot closer in the stands than the Cardinals are. And as a reminder, a reminder, it is Friday, May the 12th, the St. Louis Cardinals are still in last place. As long as they're in last place, I will continue to remind everybody that the St. Louis Cardinals are still in last place. 
And eight games back, Marty. Eight games back of those Pittsburgh Pirates. They've gone three and seven. Pirates have gone one and nine. Just got to keep our heads above water here, guys. This is going to happen. They're 21 and 17. They're in first place. They have lost two in a row. Pretty big opportunity in Baltimore this weekend. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Rum Buncher Radio. Thank you as always for checking us out over at rumbuncher.com. Be sure to do that. You see it on the screen there if you're joining us on YouTube. And follow us on Twitter as well at rumbuncher. Uh, and go check out all of the latest in Pirates Twitter over there. And uh, maybe get some tweets in for a Tweet of the Week in our most upcoming episode next week. Uh, but for Marty Lee, my name is Trey Yannity. Big shout-out to Michael Najarian for joining us tonight to preview that series. Let's go, Bucks, guys. Let's go get a few in Baltimore. We will see you next week.